This is Referees World with Darren Cullum and Richard Mellon. Hello again and welcome to the Referees World podcast with me, Darren Cullum, and this is Richard Mellon. Hi, Darren. And we continue with the second part of our exclusive interview with the mighty Howard Webb. If you haven't yet heard part one, please do that before you sit down and listen to this because A, you're going to learn something and that is primarily the reason why we're here as a monthly audio magazine offering education and training for football referees of all levels. Um, and already in the first part of that interview, Rich, um, he's, he's told so much that you can learn from. Mm, yeah, there's, there's so much in there. There's so much information from the first part of where, where he started, how he started, why he started uh, and... Now we're going to listen to areas of um, dealing with disappointment, mm. you know, the psychological things, uh, the World Cup, mm. the World Cup final, the famous World Cup final. But a lot of people forget that in 2010, it wasn't only the World Cup final he refereed, but he also refereed the final of the Champions League. So let's pick up the interview right now. This is Referees World with Darren Cullum and Richard Mellon. Am I right in saying, if I remember correctly, you refereed the um, Champions League final before you departed for the World Cup final, was that was that in that order? Did yeah. it come in that order? Yeah, it, it did. So, so I mean, we 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 we'd been involved in the Champions League. My first game was two thousand six, uh, and um, we, we, we I guess we were always a little bit limited in terms of how far we could go because of the progress of the English teams, and I think all the way from yeah. two thousand and, uh, and and five right through until 2009 an English team had made the final and in 2010 something quite unique happened in that no English team made it past the quarterfinals it's not that unique these days but back then it was and, yeah. and um, so the semi-finals came about and I wasn't appointed to the semi-finals but I knew that I'd done okay I'd done a quarter-final in, uh, into Milan which had gone well against CSK Moscow and I knew we'd got a chance of a semi-final which didn't come and then and then the announcement was made I received a phone call from UEFA to say that I'd been selected to referee the final which I was I was actually driving to do a, a kids game, a school game in Doncaster. Oh, and, uh, wow. I was I was driving. The phone went hands free, of course, as a police officer answered the phone. <laughs> yeah, of and uh, and it was you to say I've been selected to referee Inter Milan by Munich in the, the final, and um, and it was it was amazing. I was told I had to keep it quiet. I couldn't tell anybody for two weeks. Um, so I refereed this kid, this kids game, from the <laughs> game knowing I, I was going to be the champion. I wonder if they were impressed with your performance, that, or did you really? Yeah. Or were I you distracted? To, <laughs> well, it, well, there was one, one kid who had a go at one of my decisions. I, 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 I was going to say, "Fine, I'm the Champions League final record. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. But um, and then, yeah, and then it, 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 it was announced two days before. But of course, you, you know, an amazing appointment, and I had a great team with me. I had Mike and Darren, as usual. Yeah. I had Martin Atkinson yeah. as fourth official. Peter Kirk was reserve assistant. But, um, but you know, you know that game comes a bit of a risk, I guess, because you know the world's going to see it. it's going to take place only ten days before before we fly down to Johannesburg, and, yeah. and the world's going to watch it. And it, you know, I'm, here we are at the end of this three-year selection process for the World Cup. We've had our eyes set on that for months and months, and you know, something could happen in that Champions League final mm. that could. It could jeopardise sort of like your yeah. experience at the World Cup. You think back to Thierry Henry handling the ball against Ireland. Well, the referee for that game was Martin Hansen from Sweden, yeah. and, and Martin was a highly regarded referee at the time, an absolute nailed-on World Cup referee. But because of that situation, he didn't actually take charge of a game in South Africa 2010 mm. because of the fallout from that. So these things can happen. But and then of course there's the worry about injury as well, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, you've worked so hard, you've set your sights on the World Cup, so, you know, you want to be in top top nick when you go down to the, uh, to the World Cup. But, of course, this is the Champions League final. 
in itself a huge <laughs> occasion. Mm. You know, of course, you want to be involved in that, and it's a great opportunity to show the world that you know you can do a good job. And I can remember driving to the to the airport. It was a Thursday. We had to drive, we had to fly two days before the game because there was a volcano in Iceland, which is yeah, so we had to fly a bit earlier to make sure there was no delays. And I, and I was listening to, to Talk Sport on the radio, car radio going to Manchester Airport, and and Alan Brazil was on the radio and. Um, he was saying, oh, it's just been announced by UEFA that Howard Webb's got the, the the Champions League final. I can't believe that. There's no way he's good enough to referee the Champions League final. I remember these words, and I'm thinking, and hot under the collar, I turned it off. And and, um, and sort of like 65, 70 minutes into the Champions League final, um, the game's 2-0 to Inter Milan. Diego Melito scored both goals. It was a pretty calm affair. I didn't have a great deal to do. It was one of those games where you could be anonymously competent, I guess, just in the background, letting things happen. Yeah. And, and, I, and Alan Brazil pops into my mind. No, oh, no, no. That, that, shows, that shows you, Alan. That shows you, you know. I tell you what, we've got to, we've got to take this clip oh. and send it to Alan Brazil. Have you ever well. spoke to him ever since? No, I've never met him, you know. Oh, I don't think I have, but uh, no, I've never actually spoke to him ever since. Wow. So, uh, yeah, but he popped into my mind after about 70 yeah. minutes thinking, you know, that, that shows you. Mm. I, I, I was good enough to do it. That now. is genius. Yeah. That's a gem. That is a gem. That's a, yeah, yeah. So into into the tournaments then. Um, what, what I mean, you, you, the selection process I think is is, is well known in the group stages. Um, what happens in the knockout stages and uh, running up to the final itself? Yeah, I mean, it was even the group stage was quite interesting, and they do it differently each time. It seems um, in South Africa they announced the first sixteen games on block, and uh, yeah. we were we were given match number 16 we, we were the last team to be announced we were doing Spain against Switzerland in Durban and um, we were thrilled I mean it, it was I think it was after seven or eight days of the tournament that we would be doing that game so it's a nice time to get in because you've seen a few of the games you get a feel for how it's going you know you don't want to be waiting too long otherwise you're going to end up you know getting edgy sure. you, know, you only feel like you're really part of the tournament once you've had your first game yeah. um earlier the better usually to get out there but it's nice to have a few games to watch just to see how things are settling down and how things how things are panning out um, and that game went, went really well and uh, there was no issues from it um, and normally you know they'll normally give every referee team at least one game of course and then if that game goes well it opens the door to a second but you do know that if you don't do well on your first game if something happens that's highly controversial or you make a big mistake then you know there's a chance you're not going to get a second game and that happened to a few people out in both South Africa and in uh, Brazil, yeah. you know they would uh, they would yeah. do one game. It wouldn't go to plan. So you know you do feel that pressure. You do you do know that you know that ninety minutes is absolutely going to be pivotal uh, in terms of how your career is remembered. Because you know I was lucky enough to go to two World Cups and referee six games overall. But you know they, six games out of nearly a thousand that I did, and, and you know these are so so important. These ninety minutes. So you've got to balance that against being relaxed and you know doing what you've done many times before. Um, and then I guess the, the, the knockout phases are simply selected by uh, virtue of how well you perform in the mm -hmm. group stage. And of course, there's so much politics at play. There's no point hiding behind that. You know, geographically, where you're from has an impact. Um, they'll try to keep things continent neutral where possible, but not always. Um, also, any sort of history with a particular. Um, team or country even even to the point that in the Brazilian World Cup in 2014 the fact that British-Argentinian relationships aren't great still because mm, of the yeah, Falkland Islands mm, yeah. 
impacts upon, it seems, impacts upon the possibility of a British referee being appointed to an Argentinian game. Um, So those things you've got no control over whatsoever, um, but they do have an impact upon your sort of like your personal journey through the tournament. Mm. Can we can we talk about the game itself? Um, first of all, did you uh, did you sleep much the night before? Uh, surprised me well, really. Yeah, I mean, looking back, it's uh, it's not the um, not the most insignificant game, is it? And you know, if you think too hard about it, then uh, it would drive mm. you crazy. But yes, we slept okay. I mean, we're in a decent place. You know, we'd had a we'd had a good um, good tournament. I was had a good team with me, and we were. You know, pretty uh, pretty confident going into that game. So uh, yeah, we, we did, I did set quite well to be honest. That's good. With um, with the team set up, what what was your what was the approach uh, from from you guys as regards how you were going to try and control? Did you have a did you have a game plan? Did it change as the game unfolded and anything like that? No, we we'd had the usual sort of psychological briefing before the game, um, which we had before every game. Um, at the time, people were big into sports psychology, uh, so we we used um, we used sports psychologist. Uh, we had some personal sessions with him during the tournament as well, and uh, pretty much we'd, we'd always have a briefing from him. We had a technical briefing as well from uh, a FIFA instructor called Leslie Irvine from Northern Ireland, and we just talked about a little bit about what we expected from the game and and when we thought would be the right time to step in with the disciplinary sanctions. Um, not knowing exactly, of course, what would happen in the game, but just trying to look at the way played, these teams have played before. Um, and we knew also that the occasion could potentially affect the players' mentality, you know. And, and um, you know, it was my intention to be a common influence on the game to, uh, you know, to, to try to manage what was manageable, and, but but not miss something that wasn't manageable. And you know, and, and when when I when I, I'll be honest, I was taken back a little bit by the type of game it was. Not for the first like mm. ten or fifteen minutes. I thought it was pretty routine. That period had a couple of uh, challenges to my authorities, a couple of tackles that went yeah. in. I'm, yeah. I, I'm, you know, I, I watched the game back. I watched the game back once and once only. I watched it back with Scott Ledger, Scott's a Premier League assistant. Um, we met a week after I got back. We took, took my lap to the local pub with a DVD and I sat and watched it. Um, and uh, and watched, it, watched it after. How did you feel? You know, how how did you feel watching it? Mm. No, knowing, the, knowing the emotions of the day itself? Um, it, the thing that struck me was that it was probably a better game than I remember it being at the time. I, did, I, I came off thinking it had been a really awful game um, and it was probably a more exciting game than I remembered. But also, I remember thinking to myself, you know, for the first 20-odd minutes, first 30 minutes, we didn't, doing much wrong you know we really didn't and you know I, I came in for some flack in from some quarters about the way that we handled the game and I came in for some credit from others uh, yeah. and it seems to split opinion I, I can tell you now my performance was far from perfect I mean it was a sort of game where to try to put in the perfect perfect performance would have been nigh on impossible really. mm-hmm. um, I, I guess the big talking point that came about was the tackle by Nigel De Jong yeah. which happened around about 25 minutes when he he raised his foot into uh, Xabi Alonso, and yeah, of course. I mean, you know, it's, it's a red card offence when you see, you know, back, with the, you know, the perfect view and angle. But I just didn't really see it as a. Yeah, I was going to say you, you, your angle will be different to the camera angle because we all, all can see the camera angle. But mm. what did what did you think when you were watching that particular one? Because overall, whilst you say you're looking for perfect performance, I don't know if we know what a perfect performance mm. is sometimes. 
you know and yeah, and for yeah. us watching you uh, and you guys out there you mike and darren we were, we were all on board and we just thought you're trying to manage as much as you can for that first 20 minutes there was arguably a caution that could have been applied i think it was for robin van persie uh there was management of, of, so evident to a lot of us that understand the world of refereeing but then all of a sudden there had to be a sanction had to come into to play uh, and so consequently you know it, it's 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 down to when did you decide to change your approach? I, I can remember I cautioned, I cautioned Van Persie. I warned him after two minutes. I warned, yeah. um, I warned uh, Van Bommel as well after a, a poor tackle. And, and, and I then cautioned, I cautioned um, Van Persie on about 13 minutes and then cautioned mm-hmm. Carlos Poyle after about 15. And, and I, I remember saying to the guys on the radio, that will settle the game down nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, Thinking it would, and, and then you know, seven or eight minutes later, I've had two more yellow cards, and I, I again I said to the guys, "This is not going to plan." Um, and I mean, both of them said the same thing. You know, come on, believe in yourself, that sort of thing. As, as we would often talk to each other on the radio, you know, yeah. supporting each other. Uh, but it was at that point that I recognised that actually, you know, this 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 is going to be a this is going to be a battle now. You know, you know, some games are, and mm, you have to yeah. dig in and keep going. And um, and yeah, I, I, the good thing about it is, I can look back, particularly on the day on. Thing. I can look back and, and know that I didn't bottle the decision. Um, yeah. I, it never actually crossed my mind that that could be a red card at the time. And people might say it should have done, but but I didn't think to myself, ah, that's a red card, but it's the World Cup final, so I'm not going to send him off. At no point did I think that. There's a tackle by Van Bommel earlier that I thought that could be a red card. Mm. Uh, but He was very chunky. Game. If I remember rightly, Van Bommel was really chunky through the whole game, wasn't he? Oh, he was through the entire tournament. Yeah, a robust player, yeah, he, he was. He was a robust yeah, player. Yeah, absolutely. He could certainly put his... Uh, Suddenly put his foot in, but um, and interestingly enough, as well, he's now the assistant coach of the Saudi Arabian national team and shared an office <laughs> with me in, uh, in the Emirates. Oh, uh, um, but uh, yeah, but uh, but no, but I, I didn't think to myself, you know, this is a red card and I'm go- and I'm going to bottle it because it's the World Cup final. I just didn't see it as a red card offence. You know, high feet tackles are quite difficult, and if you look yeah. into the commentary as well from the yeah. game, um, you know, there's no great sort of like feeling at the time. Oh, that's a shocker! You know, how has he missed it? It was like. You know, maybe he should have played advantage when uh, when Xavi Alonso knocked it on to uh, to David Villa, and and I blew too quick. That was the feeling from I think it was Jim Beglin was doing the commentary on ITV. Yeah, and, yeah, it was. And um, yeah. and um, I think uh, I think that was the feeling at the time. And uh, but uh, watching it back, of course, you know, you think to yourself, yeah, should have been a red card, and and, and had. Spain lost the game, then it would have been an absolute pitiful moment. Is it is it easy to watch a game back when something like that happens in a game of such a big um, surrounding with it, i.e. the World Cup final? Um, you have to watch your games back. I mean, it's, yeah. it's absolutely important. I mean, I, I said to all the guys, you know, you've got to analyse the game back. You know, you really must do that. And, and be honest as well and, and recognise what you've done well. But, you know, try you've got to try and detach yourself from the decision because the problem the problem referees have is is trying to do that because they get attached to the decision that they make because they understand and can remember why they gave it at the time from what they saw. Um, the, 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 the way, you know, you, the best way to do it is to try to try to imagine it's not you refereeing the game, but it's hard because, you know, you were. And so to try to be neutral and, 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 and not, not emotional about a particular decision is difficult. But it's the only way that you can really be honest and learn from, from it. But all of us used to do the same. Match of the day would come on on a Saturday mm-hmm. night and we'd sit there and, you know, you'd know that... The, They've only got a limited amount of time to show the highlights on match of the day, and, and you, you know you, you'd be aware that there was a tackle maybe in the 60th yeah. minute that was a bit meaty, and actually you'd not seen it back since you gave the yellow card, but you know it could be a red, mm-hmm. and you're thinking, I hope they don't show it because if they don't show it, 
on match of the day that nobody even talks about yeah, it. But yep. you're thinking if it's a bad one, they're going to show it. Yeah. And you've not seen it back, and, and you're sort of like you're watching it, and you know, you know that the chance that they're showing is five minutes before this tackle, and then you see that the next thing they show is after the tackle happened, and they're not showing it. Oh. And you go, yes. You know, even even at our level, we think like that sometimes because you just. You know, you just know that it, a lot of the time it is trial by trial by television. Yeah. And, uh, How much uh, self-analyzing uh, do you do after games, Howard, or when when you were actively refereeing? Uh, loads, really. I mean, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd go to you go through the game in your mind all the way home. Um, one of the big things that we developed last year in the PGMOL when I was working there was the facility to, to take clips. I was working up at the, the what we call match centre where we can myself and Dermot Gallagher would watch all the three o'clock games and all the games in fact from the day and I would take clips of the games from the, from the feeds that were coming in from the TV companies and I would package it in a way that I could then send it to the referee so that after the game they could turn their device on and see the clips there and then. Yep. So the so they weren't driving 100, 200, 300 miles back or on the train, on the plane, yeah. not knowing. You, know, you want to be able to look at it and review it and reflect upon it quickly without having that mm. thought of what does it look like in the way that I've just described. So, so you know, the guys have that absolutely as net. Well, but I'd always, always watch the watch the, the game back. And, and the, the one thing that the PGM world does in real detail is ensure that the games are, um, are analysed in absolute detail uh, minute by minute and by second even and the referees can, can go through that same process as well looking back on every situation just, to look back on uh, Just going back to the World Cup final uh, <laughs> at any point did you think of Alan Brazil <laughs> in the uh, same way that you do with the Champions uh, League? No, no Alan had <laughs> slipped out my mind about that <laughs> <laughs> he, might, he might have had a point <laughs> It's yeah. just how things come out Howard isn't it? It's how yeah um, we, yeah, we we got to the end of the World Cup final. Um, and what what was the what was your general feelings as a team and the aftermath uh, the weeks after? Because you've got to have a break. You've got to you've got to chill to have chill time. But uh, before you come back to the English Premiership, but what was the the general aftermath uh, immediately after the game? Yeah, we, we well we we came back into uh, I came back into to, to, to the country two days later. Um, Met uh, met Mike Riley, um, sort of like uh, on the way home. Actually, he met me and we had a chat about the, you know, the, the sort of like the, the best way to deal with the next few weeks. Uh, we knew that there was um, a group of media waiting outside the house, so we uh, I, he put a car on for me so that I could get back safely and that sort of thing. So I realised from that point that my life had probably changed a little bit. And you know, when I got outside the house, there was sort of like fifty. 50 photographers waiting for me to, to arrive back in TV cameras. Um, quite bizarre, but that's the way it was. Yeah, um, yeah, so I had to say a few words to them. We'd agreed that we'd have a few weeks off, so we'd, you know, we'd, we'd start the season a little bit later than everybody else, um, myself down and Mike, and, um, and take some rest, which we, which we did. I went on holiday to Turkey uh, a week after getting back from the World Cup finals, and, and that was quite... Uh, Quite crazy. I mean, you know, the amount of attention that was being paid towards me was, was you know, just, just for a rest. It was, yeah. was could, quite, uh, could, quite can, you, can you look back on the World Cup final and say you refereed what they put in front of you? Yeah, so, yeah I think so. I think so. Um, because yeah, it, it, it obviously didn't go according to plan as as regards the, the game for the purists. You know, everybody around the world is watching it. And all of a sudden, you get a team playing tactics which are not... They're not recognised for those type of tactics. No. But you can only... Ref, as we always say uh, in the refereeing world, you can only referee what they put in front of you. And, and, and arguably, uh, that, that's what you did. 
you know, it, yeah, it, it you, wasn't pleasant, yeah. perhaps. No, it wasn't. I mean, and, you know, and, and there's, there's just there's a lot of skills that go into yeah. controlling a game of football. And yeah. you know, for example, I mean, we, I would get advised, particularly in Europe, I would get advised that you know, if if the yellow card isn't working, then find a red card. Now, when they say that, they don't mean just make a red card up. But what they're saying is, look, you know, if you get one of those situations where you're showing yellow and there's a, there's a tackle that really could go either way, you know, it's one of those borderline situations. If the yellow card is having no impact whatsoever, then, you know, in one of those marginal cases, don't fall on the side of yellow, fall on the side of red because you've got to up your game. You've got to do something more to control the game. Uh, if the game's calm and, you know, nobody's react, overreacting, then maybe a yellow card would be suitable. I mean, I, I've said this quite a few times with the work I've done on BT Sport. It's, it's not... Referee is not really not black and white, in my opinion. Yeah. It's not totally that agree. scientific either. Oh, some of the physical preparation is scientific. Uh, you know, you need to know the laws of the game. But there's so much that's interpretation. You know, so much is in the opinion of the referee. And you know, and the yellow card, for example, is not only there as punishment. It's, it's absolutely a, a tool to control the game. Mm. And a well-placed yellow card can absolutely put the game in your pocket. Yeah. But equally, a misplaced yellow card can absolutely lose your control mm. of the game. I don't, and, I don't, and it, I was going to say, I don't want to sound patronising, Howard, but you're absolutely mm. so on the money. It's so so refreshing for us to be reassured by what you're saying is what we're trying to push mm. here for grassroots people that are listening to this. And every, everything you're coming out with is just a blessing for everything that everybody wants in the game. Mm. Like, that's how I see it. Uh, no, that's true, and I, I get fed up with it. some of the TV people always saying, that has to be a yellow card, that's not a yellow mm. card. How, you know, and, and striving for consistency. But unfortunately, you know, the price that we have to pay for people being allowed to use some personality and some element of common sense is that, you know, on occasions, that level of perceived consistency might not be there. But, you know, as long as you're consistent, even within the game, it's not easy to be totally consistent because the tackle in the first minute might not be treated in the same way as the tackle yeah. in the 60th minute because, yeah. you know, you've got to give your management, your range of man management skills it's a chance. Been, you've got yes. Yeah, early in the absolutely. game. And, and by later in the game, you might have exhausted those those channels mm. and, and you know that a, a word of warning might have no impact. So, yes, you're going to show a yellow card for the same type of tackle that was that wasn't treated by way of yellow card in the first minute, because in the first minute you don't know, you don't know the way that, that game is going to pan out, and equally, you know, you don't know if, if a, a yellow card is going to be too much at that stage. So, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't really accept these people who say a yellow card is a yellow card is a yellow card. The laws are the laws. Those are the people who haven't walked in our shoes. No, um, totally you know, it's, it's not that, it's not that clear and simple. I could have asked for a piece of advice, but there's no point in asking the question because you've just given yeah. it. It's just perfect, Howard. Perfect. Howard, how, can we just ask you about the work that you're doing abroad at the moment? Yeah, of course, yeah. So I um, I was approached in the um, summer of 2014 after my uh, retirement was announced. I was approached by um, the, um, the sports minister in Saudi Arabia, um, who actually, as well, is connected to the... Uh, the, one of the professional clubs here that's local to me in Sheffield United um, is, is one of the owners of the club. He just said, look, would you come and help us in Saudi Arabia to develop our refs? And I'd, I'd already got um, a, a contract with the PGMOL at that point and uh, said, thank you for the interest, but no thanks. And But then, you know, a few months later, I reconsidered my position and decided it might be nice. Just, one of the difficulties with PGMOL, I think, for me, was that I was working with the guys that I'd been, you know, a peer to, that I'd been a colleague to for many yeah. years, and yeah. and I was then managing that group, and I felt for my own personal development it would be better to step away and create a little bit of distance from there, um, and um, 
And at the same time as, as that came along, um, with, like I said, myself and Dermot Gallagher have been doing some work behind the scenes, advising the broadcasters, so I've got a connection to broadcasters, and they asked me if I'd be interested in doing something a little bit more front-facing. Um, and I worked out that I could probably combine the both for yeah. at least yeah. for a period of time. Yeah. And um, and it's, um, it's it's not a bad combination at the moment. Um, it involves a lot of travelling. I'm out in Saudi yeah. Arabia. A lot of sunshine. A lot of... Well, if I, yeah, if I wasn't working so hard, you know, in the office or in, on the stadiums, yeah, I'd be able to someday. But uh, at the moment, it's uh, it's pretty full on and a lot of work to do. I'm building a team around me there to yeah. help deliver training mm. and development and uh, make sure that the guys are um, fit for purpose. And a lot of them are. I mean, there's some talented referees in that part of the world. One of them took charge of the under-20 World Cup in New Zealand last year, at which I was a FIFA instructor. There's uh, so much passion for football in that part of the mm. world. It really is the thing that dominates um, spare time um, for, for, for young people out there. Um, so there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of potential out there. Yeah. Um, we're just trying to increase a little well, bit the professionalism. Briefly looking at some of the clips uh, that come in on um, uh, on on the media, I mean, they, they have a fever for, for football just like anywhere else, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the stadiums, you know, are full, 60,000 people yeah, in yeah. there. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a hotbed for football, there's no That's doubt about that. Why, why did you decide to um, actively retire? Yeah, good question, really. It's something that I've given consideration to for about two years before I actually decided to, to, to finish. Um, I, I, at the time, the 45 age limit was still in place for FIFA. Um so I was too old to go to the next World Cup in Russia. I also felt, you know, Dan, that I'd actually, um, I'd actually, so I run out of energy for tournaments. I didn't want to go to another tournament. I'd done that, been there, been to nine in total. I thought I'd run my course in that respect, mm. and I thought it was time for somebody else to have a go as well. Um, mm. And but, but but that was the, that was like the highlight of my career. The Premier League was excellent, but it really was the tournaments that, that stood out. Um, eventually, you know, it's, it's, it is a roller coaster. Being an referee at that level is a roller coaster between really high highs and, and pretty low lows as well. And, and after a period of time, the lows do start start to take their toll a little bit. And I just felt it was probably time for me to move on and, and challenge myself in, in a new field, a new area, really. Can you, can you tell us um, on, about some of those lows that you experienced? Um, because obviously it's not always obvious to uh, everybody how you're feeling, particularly after a certain game or a certain tournament or whatever. Um, tell us about those moments. Yeah, just, just, I mean, we've all been through them. I mean, you know, you, you know pretty quickly if you've, if you've made a big mistake or much, a much influencing mistake and uh, you don't want to to make those 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 mistakes sometimes you do it's inevitability about the job I think and uh, you know I've, I've driven home quite a few times feeling pretty pretty depressed about you know um, about the game if the thought that anybody thinks we drive home and don't give a second thought or don't care about what we do so far off the mark and and we do and then you wake up the next morning and, and you know you, you might think that's oh, a nice morning and then you remember so like remember what happened the day before and yes whilst nobody's died you know it's still it's still your reputation that's that's yeah. on the line. It's still you know you, you want to do a good job. You There's want a to lot be of pride in doing it right. Yeah. A, a lot of pride, exactly. And I can remember one. I did a FA Cup fifth round game in my last season, Liverpool, Arsenal, Liverpool, and missed what turned out to be a clear penalty for Luis Suarez. And I just misread it. I just thought the two players ran into each other in the box. And when you watch it back, you know Oxford Chamberlain clearly gets their second, and, and it's still a penalty. And, and I misread it. And 
you know, you get back into the, into the car and you're getting text messages from people and, you know, and, and you're going back over and over in your mind about what could you have done different? Why did you misread it? Um, you're pretty low about it. You know, you don't go seeking for reports in newspapers on the internet, etc. But yeah. sometimes they'll find you, people will text yeah. you, have mm-hmm. you seen what's in this paper, have you seen what's being said about you, it? You don't want to know about it, do you? <laughs> it's just like... You don't, you don't, but fortunately it still finds its way to you. And, yeah. you know, yeah, you've got thick skin and broad shoulders, of course you have, you know, we're not shrinking violets. I don't want anybody to feel sorry for them because I choose to be in that job. But equally, after a period of time, you know, you think, yeah, probably I've had enough of that now, you know, yeah. I want to do something different. A lot of our listeners, uh, Howard, will be sort of thinking, how do you deal with disappointment? How, how do you get beyond that? Is, is it, there's mental strength, and how do you build that up? Have you got any advice on, or tips on yeah. that? Yeah, undoubtedly mental resilience is the, the single most important thing that referee needs if you want to make it to the top. Um, and all the research that uh, has been done, um, Liam Slack is a sports psychologist employed yeah. by PJ Mowell, and he did um, a lot of work looking at what... It, what it takes to be a top referent and mental resilience was the thing that came out more than anything else. I think you just have to sort of like, you have to try to put things in perspective. I mentioned earlier that it hurts and it does. Yeah. You know, your pride gets, a, gets a, a bit of a beating, but you know something, you know, time and time again, I've made mistakes and come back and done better the next time. All of us have been there. We've all felt pretty low. I've had text messages from colleagues on the Premier League who said, I just can't seem to do anything right at the moment. You know, you know, we all go through the same sort of things, but we all pretty much all bounce back and we all bounce back stronger because you have to put it in perspective. I accept it's an ine- inevitable thing that happens in this in this job of ours. The only way you'll never make another mistake is never to go out and take charge of a game again. I've not made a mistake on the pitch since the day I finished, but I've not refereed a game. So, you know, um, it's it's the only way you'll guarantee yourself not mm. making a mistake. Which kind of brings me on to uh, pretty much uh, one of our final questions to you. Looking back, would you do anything differently? No, no, I, no. I don't think I would. You know, I don't. I don't think that. Yeah, of course, there's, there's some decisions, some mistakes I made. I thought, oh, you know, you know I wouldn't want to uh, make that mistake again. But uh, but it all is part and parcel of the learning curve mm-hmm. that you're going. I guess, and maybe making that mistake has made you a better referee in the longer term. So, you know, would I do anything different? No. And, and what I would say is that, you know, the decision to start refereeing back in 1989 was one of the best decisions of my life. And it took me on this, this journey, which Wonder, so wonderful many journey, incredible, yeah. incredible it's stops along the way, yeah. you know, I'm so grateful. For, been, I mean, for, from, a, from a, a colleague's point of view, it's been wonderful to watch you guys uh, achieve what you do. And, and, and everybody has to realize that, not everybody can referee the World Cup final. Only a select few will ever do that. Um, Jack Taylor in 1974, Howard Webb in 2010. When will be the next Englishman, I wonder? Yeah, and somebody will. I mean, make no mistake. And, and, and also, you know, let's close on, on the thought that English refereeing is absolutely on a massive high. Yeah. And, you know, we are world leaders. I mean, people might snigger if I say that publicly, but, you know, I'm prepared to say that publicly because, you know, when you look back on our record in terms of what has been achieved by this crop of officials over the last yeah. five, six, ten years? You know, every single, every single major final, yeah. uh, major, major cup competition around the world has been officiated by English officials, yeah. and we've got two guys going to the Euros. Only, only England has two people going to the Euros, yeah. and that's because we can't choose between the two of them. And it's justified, Jim. Yeah, they're just exactly. You know, absolutely, mm. absolutely. So okay. let's celebrate. You know what we've what we've achieved. 
and long may that continue. I agree. I agree, Howard. Well, listen, uh, Howard, it's been an absolute pleasure, and thank you very much for giving us one hour, ten minutes of your time. <laughs> which... No, my pleasure. It's flown by, isn't it? I and it would be, it would be. Yeah. Re- I mean, we've got a, a whole stack load of questions that we'd really like to ask you uh, more about, but we can save that for another day. One, one thing we've got to ask. This is from a, um, a friend of ours called Ross, who runs uh, a forum called uh, Ref Chat, and it's a great little website. And uh, we sort of sent him a text and said, look, uh, have you got an idea for a question that you would like to like us to ask Howard Webb for you? And he said, yeah. Uh, uh, was there any point in your career that you wanted to punch Robbie Savage? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Robbie, Robbie is a, is a, is a legend. I've got, to, I've got to say, I'm hoping that over the last few months I've, able, I've been able to educate him a little bit about the world of, of, of being a referee. And I've got to say, he does... He does, okay, he has a bit of bluster now and again, but he, he is genuinely interested in what we do. And he, yeah, I oh. think he is coming around a little bit um, um, in terms of his understanding of the job that we do. And uh, and uh, yeah, I've, I've quite quite enjoyed uh, working with him. I bet he's quite a card to work with, actually, particularly from a media level. He, he is, and he's, 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 got quite, he's got quite a big heart as well, you know, and he, yeah. he'll ask about how the guys are. And, you know, if, if you see the guy make a mistake, he'll ask me to send on his regards. So, you know... Behind all of that noise is, is somebody who's you know, is genuinely, mm. uh, genu- genuinely into his football and, and actually does, uh, you know, does have a quite a big, big heart. So uh, yeah, hopefully one of the benefits of being, because I've got to say, working working within in the BT Sport world is is, is interesting. It's challenging. The TV mm. world is absolutely unforgiving. You know, if you put one foot wrong when you're broadcasting, people jump on you like like yeah. a shot. But but um, and and there's that balance between trying to support the guy, trying to give information, insight, understanding as to why decision has been made. And then at the same time, you know, people wanting to say, well, is it a mistake or not? And, you know, it's, 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 it's not so easy for an mm-hmm. ex-referee to be involved in that world because automatically people think that you're there simply to highlight mistakes made by, by ex-colleagues. And that is not something... I would take any pleasure from whatsoever, wow. but of course, people expect you to have an opinion yeah. and, and and call it as you as you see it. So so far, you know, we're sort of like six months into this 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 broadcast journey, and you know, I'll let other people decide how successful I've been in terms of trying to give insight into what we have to do and what and you know the thought processes that go into decision making. Most of the guys are still speaking to me at this stage. Which is good. <laughs> Yeah. Well, look, um, uh, like I say, a big thank you for talking to us. Uh, we would one day like to come back and have a uh, continue the chat with some uh, some other bits, yeah. but I'm sure there's been a lot of referees listening to this around the world, as Rich has said, that have really learnt from the things that you've just said um, uh, over the course of the last hour or so. Yeah, I'd like to have a, a little bit of a, an update when we talk to you next time, Howard, in a few months' time, perhaps, uh, and see how the, the job out in Saudi mm. Arabia is going for you. Uh, and um, what sort of numbers uh, of referees have you got out there at the moment that you're looking after? Well, we've got, in, in the country, we've got just over 1,000, so right. it doesn't, doesn't compare to what we've got here in England. Obviously, we've got 27,000, I'm told, but yeah. about 1,000. Um, I'm working with... Around about twenty in the in the top division uh, referees, um, and um, probably double number double the number of that of assistants. Okay. Um, and I'm really enthused by the by the uh, by the job out there. It's it's, it's really great, and uh, you know uh, it's, it's, it's testing me as well. Uh, it's challenging me, but hopefully they're absorbing some of my experiences, and uh, sure. you know, and and hopefully we'll see 
got some gradual improvements, um, and it's you know it's not always easy to measure improvement. But you know if the guys go onto the field feeling more confident or feeling that they're yeah. better equipped, then I've done my job really. And, yeah. uh, and and for me, the the key thing is to leave some some sort of a legacy there. Passing over your skill sets. Yeah, not to go in there just for a few months and, and then come back having not achieved anything. I want to change a few things there so that the you know the environment for the referees working out there is. Is, is a better one than, than what I found. If it's the same Howard Webb that was here on the Premiership, in the World Cup, and in all those tournaments, now working in Saudi Arabia, it will be a success. No, thank you. I really it hope it so. will be a success, Howard. Howard, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for joining us on the Referees World podcast. Thanks, Darren. Thank you, Richard, and uh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. This is Referees World. Listen online at refereesworld.co.uk or search iTunes for Referees World. So there you go. In total, two parts, an hour and 12 minutes of Howard Webb on the phone. I don't know if you noticed in the background, the phone kept going off. The, the, the landline kept going off in his house. Did you hear all that? <laughs> yeah, I did a little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, fair play. You know, he was, he, was, he was with us for an hour, 12 minutes, 13 minutes, which uh, um, I didn't expect, which was just great. He could have gone on for ages. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and as we've uh, already invited, uh, uh, you know, another visit, as regards an mm-hmm. interview, uh, he'll give us that. Uh, and uh, for sure, I mean, he's worth listening to for hours and hours on end. Uh, I mean, the ironic thing is we were able to get a, a window of his time when only this week he's been uh, two nights with BT Sport covering a full mm. premiership programme. And he's given us an hour and 12 minutes on this occasion. So pleased. Mm. It's a good result of that. So please uh, listen, listen again and listen again, because to get somebody like Howard Webb on the phone uh, to give us that much detail, in the way that he did I just think is great and and it just goes to show even though he's sort of retired now from the game as such um, he's still so committed in trying to encourage people to come through the system and yeah. for that reason he's prepared to give that level of time to uh, a podcast such as ours he's a football man he's a referees man you know for, for obvious reasons everybody recognises Howard Webb I mean there was there was questions from people that we didn't get to ask I mean we asked the one from Ross mm-hmm. uh, we we did actually ask a couple of questions that were sent in by Mike Morgan uh, but we didn't identify Mike so I apologise on that one but it's worth pointing out as well we also had a list of questions ourselves that we were going to ask but he kept answering them Okay, within the yeah. answers that he was giving yeah. anyway. So we were like, oh, right, okay, we don't need to ask that one yeah. now. There's a couple of those, wasn't there? Yeah, he's, he was well-versed in uh, dealing with media inquiries, wasn't he? A true pro. Mm-hmm. And like I say, um, post and share this because it's definitely worth listening. And you can do that by listening again on the website, refereesworld.co.uk. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, by the way, Rich is on Twitter Watch. How many have we got now? Oh, we the last count I had was <laughs> f- just over, just no, just under 3,300. So wow, we're, we're being yeah, watched. Excellent. We're being watched. And we're watched spe- and listened the to. The word is spreading. And on one final note, okay, at the point you're listening to this, we are but two days away from Richard's 60th birthday. Oh, thanks, Darren. So happy birthday, Rich. Thanks, I mean, mate. You're thanks, disappearing mate. off yeah. to Spain and having a bit of golfing session and leaving Lynn behind and one thing and another. But uh, happy birthday, mate. And you don't look a day over 70. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. No, no, He's got all emotional now. <laughs> it's the Referees World Podcast with Darren Cullum and Richard Bellin. Thank you very much for listening.